In the 1970s, there was a company by the name of Calso. Uh, it was named after a, a yoga instructor who was convinced that um, we'd be better off if we didn't have heels on our shoes, that uh, we needed to have like a reverse heel, that the heel should be actually lower than the front. And so this company invented earth shoes. Those of you who are a little older, you may remember earth shoes back in the 70s. They were ugly. Um, they, they had no heel, and, and they were kind of just oddly shaped. The, the, the front of it where the toes were kind of just, your shoe didn't come to a point because that's not the way your foot does. It, it kind of shaped the, the slant of your toes and just a, an ugly shoe, but they were cool. And everybody had to have earth shoes. I had to get a pair of earth shoes. And uh, I thought they were the neatest thing. And my dad, I remember saying, but they're ugly. You know, why do you want to wear that? And he just didn't understand. Because everybody had those. They were cool. Influence and pressure by people around us affect kids. But not just kids. You see, I was probably 12 when I got those earth shoes. But when I was in college, my roommate, I remember one day, when I was in college, the preppy thing was in style. You know, you wore the, the pastel colors and, and you had the polo shirts and they had to be Izod and heaven forbid that they were ever fox. You know, JC Penney, you, you don't want a fox on your shirt. Um, that's, that's cheesy. You know, you had to have the eyes odd, get alligator. And I walked in my dorm room one day and there's my roommate. My roommate was as tall as I am. He was on the basketball team, good looking guy. You know, he, he had everything going, you know, for him. He's sitting on his bed. He has a thread and a needle, a, a pair of, uh, scissors and some eyes odd socks and some J.C. Penney shirts. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I went to the store in Jackson and I, and I bought some socks that are eyes odd because they had the little alligator on the socks and they're the cheapest thing that I could buy that had the alligator on it. And then I bought these Penny shirts and I'm going to cut the fox off the shirt and I'm going to sew that alligator on those shirts. Crazy. I hope he doesn't ever watch it. We're with, we're videoing this now, aren't we? <laughs> don't tell my roommate. You don't know who, which one he was. Okay. But, um, you know, pressure because that was what everybody was doing and it drove him to do that. Okay. So kids, it works on them. It works on college age people. My grandma. My gra Let me say this beforehand, because I'm just going to lay this disclaimer out, because I don't want somebody coming up to me and getting me in trouble afterwards. If you're a grandmother, I'm sure you're a cool grandmother, okay? I, I'm sure that you are absolutely the coolest grandmother that ever lived. But I'm talking about my grandma, all right? My grandma was not a cool grandma. She was a grandma, you know, she was, she would, she'd sit down and do crafts maybe with me or, or make some food or cookies or something like that. that. That's what my grandma was. She wasn't like, I wouldn't look at my grandma and say, wow, she is so cool and so in touch with everything. 
my grandma started wearing her shirt collars flipped up like that. Do, do you remember that style? Now I can't get mine down. Do, do you remember that style? Um, and I hope somebody doesn't have their shirt collar flipped up this morning. One day I was preaching on fashions and, and, well, I was talking about benevolence. And I said, don't go clean out all your old stuff that you don't want anymore and use this benevolence effort as just a, a way to clean your closet out. And I, and I said, like, don't, don't go back and get some, you remember those wide plaid suits from the early, late sixties and early seventies and the lapels were about that wide. And, and I was describing this suit not to share. And I looked up and right there sat a man wearing that suit. I almost said, don't get that suit like he has, but, uh, I, if you have your collar up, I'm sure it's cool. I, I'm out of touch with fashion, but. My grandma started flipping her collar up because she had some friends that were doing it. And I'll never forget one day my mom was in church and my grandma was sitting in the row in front of us and my mom saw that and she reached up to put her collar down and grandma slapped her hand and flipped her collar right back up. You know, that's not, she wasn't cool. My point is, there's pressure that comes to bear on us. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's pressure that will come to bear on you as to how you live your life. And that's a hard thing to deal with. And I'm talking about silly little things here. But, you know, there are pressures that bear on us when it comes to our relationship with God. And sometimes it's hard to do the right thing because we have people that we respect or that we want their respect. And they think differently or act differently. And it, it weighs on us. Sometimes we make the wrong choices. Sometimes we give in to things that we don't really want to do. Sometimes we, sometimes we do things that, well, are silly in the grand scheme of things. Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, Jesus said, You can't be ashamed of me or my words. And if you are, I'll be ashamed of you. I know that it's really popular in our culture to talk about Jesus. You know, we can uh, love Jesus because Jesus is our Savior, and, and it, there's no backlash to saying, I love Jesus. Most of our culture does. But now it's a different thing to talk about the teachings of Jesus. You see, people have created their own Jesus after their own likeness or in their own likeness, and, and, he, and he holds and teaches the things that they kind of want taught. But the true Jesus of the Bible taught things that Oh, if we talked about the teachings of Jesus and not just Jesus, then we've got another story. People don't want to hear that, and I get a little reluctant to tell it because I know they don't want to hear it. It's not enough just to say, I'm proud of Jesus. But as his followers, I need to have the courage to say, I'm proud of his words too, and I'm not ashamed of them at all. In 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bible, you might look at chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. In that passage, the Apostle Paul says, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Paul said, okay, I'm really not concerned about the way you think about me. 
And I'm really, I'm really not concerned about what I think about myself. Sometimes we can deceive ourselves. We can feel good about things we do that we shouldn't feel good about at all, but we've fooled ourselves. Paul says, it doesn't matter to me what you think about me or even what I think. What matters at the end of the day is what does the judge of the earth say? What does the God in heaven have to say about my conduct? That's the only thing that matters. I can approve of myself and still be wrong. And you can condemn me and you can be wrong. But what I need to know and all that I'm concerned about, Paul says, is what does God say? And I want us to learn to have that kind of confidence in our Christian walk. Not to be swayed by what other people say and what they think. And look at the lengths that people are driven. Look at the fads in our society. The things that people have done in the name of, well, just trying to be in style with everybody else. I don't want to be different. We've looked foolish at times because we don't want to be different. Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning and give you just three thoughts that I want to share with you about how we can live and not be affected by the world and its influence. And the way to do that, I believe, is to go back to Jesus. He's the only one that got through this life and lived it perfectly and did everything just right. And so would it not make sense to go and look at him and how did you do this? How, how did you live and walk among people that differed from you and not cave in to the pressures of being what they wanted you to be? How, how did you always stand in opposition? You weren't concerned about everybody else, you know, and what they thought. How did you do that? Well, that's what I want us to look at. And I know that there are people that say, you know, the, the whole WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? The problem, and I love that idea and asking ourselves that question, but the problem with that is people don't know enough about Jesus to know the answer. What would Jesus do? Well, I don't know. I don't know Jesus that well. So better maybe than WWJD, what would Jesus do, is WDJD. What did Jesus do? Maybe that's what we need to be asking ourselves. What did Jesus do? How did he resist those times when pressure came to bear on him, what did he do? And then when we see what he did, that's what we need to do. All right, well, let's just look at a couple places. What did Jesus do when he was under pressure? The answer is this. He always taught the truth. Always. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. And if you will look with me in chapter 19 and verse 12 beginning, or verse 2 beginning, great multitudes followed him, Jesus, and he healed them. The Pharisees also came to him. You see, there were people that came and they were there because Jesus could do good for them. They were healed by him. But there was another group of people who came to Jesus, but they came testing him. And saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? I tell you, you want to get somebody in trouble, ask them that question. It's still true. Just ask that question and, and that'll get somebody in hot water. Because it's like it is today, just as it is today, it, it was that same way back then. 
there were two schools of thought, or at least two. There were those who thought, well, yeah, if you find anything in her, you can put her away and marry again. And there were others who said, well, no, it has to be for fornication. If some kind of a, a sexual uncleanness in her, if she has, has committed adultery against you, then, then you could put her away. And so, so here's the test. Jesus is put, he's in a public setting, and while in this public setting, these people come and ask him this loaded question. And however Jesus answers it, he's going to make somebody mad at him. There's someone, no doubt, in that crowd who's going to take the position that he doesn't affirm. And so they, oh, I'm sure they sat and said, that's the perfect question. Oh, let's ask him that. And they went looking for him. And I'm sure that they were just proud to death of themselves by putting him on the spot that way. Have you ever been in a Bible class when someone does the same thing? You know, they're not looking for information. They're just wanting to, to nail the, the, the speaker or a, or a preacher gets set up. You know, he preaches a sermon and then somebody at the door, when everybody can hear, they, they say things that really can't be addressed in that setting. But it's, it's a setup. Those aren't new either. Those have been along, around for a long time. And so Jesus says, all right, I've, I've got this dilemma. What am I going to do? Not only is there that aspect or those aspects of the dilemma, then there's also the aspect that, well, John just spoke out pretty strongly on marriage and told Herod that it's not lawful for him to have his brother Philip's wife. He lost his head over that. Wow, this is just a win-win situation for us. Let it, let us get Jesus in a crowd and let's put him on the spot. And if he doesn't alienate at least half the crowd, at least maybe we'll even get his head cut off. So what is it, Jesus? Jesus didn't hesitate. Jesus very clearly said, have you not read that God made man from the beginning, male and female, Two shall become one flesh. And he goes on and says, it was because of the hardness of your heart that divorce ever happened in the first place. It was never a part of God's plan. He only did that and allowed that and gave regulations for it to protect people because he knew that you were hard-hearted and you were going to disobey him. But let me tell you the way it is, he says in verse 9. If a man puts away his wife except for fornication and marries another, he commits adultery. And he that marries her that's put away commits adultery. Pretty straightforward. He didn't stumble over those words. That was a difficult position. And I've run into people today that, and preachers today, that are hesitant to preach that truth because they're afraid of what people will say. I remember I got a call a number of years ago and somebody said, the elders have asked me to preach on marriage and divorce and man, I am just scared as to what's going to happen with this. Just a suggestion. If you're afraid to speak the truth and you're a proclaimer of the gospel, maybe you have the wrong calling. You know, maybe you need to rethink what you're doing because that if you don't have the courage to speak the truth in love, then you're never going to speak the truth. Because part of speaking the truth is conviction and talking to people about sin and trying to convince them to stop doing what they're doing and adopt what God would have them to do with their lives. And it means that you're in a confrontational position frequently. 
And if that's beyond our ability to do, then we really can't be a preacher or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus, under pressure, always taught the truth. It just so happens that it was on this issue. I was to get married. I had just graduated from college. Kim and I were to get married in, in June, uh, Ju- July. I, I knew that. It was July. <laughs> There's no question I knew that. Um, in, in July, and I don't have a job. We've got a wedding planned, and I don't have a job yet. And so there was this place in Ohio. It was a couple hours away. I drove over there. They were interested in possibly hiring me. And I preached that morning. Everything went well. And and, uh, so we were back at the house, and all the elders were there and their families and some other members. And we were having this huge dinner. And they had one of these tables at, you know, like at the White House where you can sit 20 people around it. But anyway, we were sitting there, and everybody's talking, and then one of the elders says to me, So Steve, I've been married before, and my wife has been married before, and neither one of us divorced for the cause of fornication, but we have said that we're sorry for doing that, and we won't do it ever again. So what do you think about that? I really need a job. I'm getting married, and I don't have a job yet. I told him what Jesus said. If a man puts away his wife except for fornication and marries another, he commits adultery. And I just stopped with what the text said. There was an eerie silence at that point. All the conversation stopped and it got a little awkward and uncomfortable. But he raised the question. And I was obligated to answer And if I didn't answer, I think I would have let the Lord down and wouldn't need to be doing what I'm doing today. Jesus always taught the truth, even when he was under heavy pressure. That's what we need to do. Let me show you something else, that when Jesus was under pressure, he always kept his integrity. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 18 and verse 37. And Jesus is standing on trial for his life, and Pilate comes to him. And Pilate doesn't feel that he's done anything worth. He sees that this is, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're ramrodding him through. The whole thing is a hoax. This guy is innocent. Pilate knows that. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, they tell me that you're a king. You know, that's one of the accusations. This is rebellion against Rome. You can't claim to be a king. There's only one, Caesar. So Pilate says, they, they're saying, you know, I heard him say that you say you're king. Is it true? You're really saying that? Jesus could have played with words. Well, I'm not a king. I'm the son of a carpenter. I'm a carpenter. I'm a preacher for the last three years. See, he could have, and that could have been technically right. Because if he was talking about uh, an earthly king, he wasn't that. So Jesus could have, you know, really, well, sacrificed his integrity to keep his life on that occasion. But you know what Jesus said? He said, it it is as you say, I am, I'm a king. And he thus went on to his death. But He kept his integrity. 
He didn't play with his words. He didn't try to make Pilate believe this when it's really this. He kept his integrity. Oftentimes when we're put under pressure, we, we try to, well, we're, we're double-tongued, aren't we? We try to make them ha- and we, we try to make them happy when they talk, and then when I'm around this group, I try to make them happy, and, and pretty soon we find ourselves, you know how hard that is to keep up with? You know how liberating it is to be a person of integrity and to be honest in your dealings with people? You don't have to remember what crowd you're with. Oh, this is the cool college crowd that I got to act this way with. And this is the cool, you know, this crowd and I got to act that way. And this is my church friend crowd and I got to watch my speech here. And this is my... Well, if you have integrity, you can be the same person in every crowd and not worry about a thing. Not have to keep up with anything. Man, how liberating that is. Just to be a follower of Jesus. And that's the way Jesus lived his life. You knew who he was and what he stood for. And he didn't leave you wondering. Jesus, when under pressure, kept his integrity. And here's the third thing that he did. When under pressure, he always lived the truth that he preached. He preached a truth that said that all men were created by God and that he, they have value in God's eyes. And uh, that's a nice message, but sometimes we tend to forget it. Because when we get around certain kinds of people, we, we tend to back away from other kinds of people. It happened to the Apostle Peter when he was with the Jews or when he was with the Gentiles. He, everything was good. But when the Jews came around, he backs away and, and plays toward a different crowd. We may go to school and there's, there's kids that are just a little bit different and not respected very much. And, and we back away from them so as not to get tagged like they're tagged. Jesus, in Matthew, well, in Matthew chapter 9, he found a tax collector by the name of Matthew. And he sat down and he ate with him. And he came and found in Luke chapter um, uh, 19, he found another tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And he went to his house and he ate with him. And everybody else was saying, what in the world are you doing? These are tax collectors. They're sinners. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. That's who I minister to. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who were unrighteous. He lived the truth. He didn't get around a certain crowd and then ignore the rest of the people that were a little bit different. On one occasion in Luke chapter 9, around verse 51, the disciples of Jesus, Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and so they were going out ahead of him trying to find a a place to stay for the night. And when the city, which was a Samaritan city, found out that he was going on to Jerusalem... They didn't like Jerusalem, Judaism, Jews were Samaritans. And when they found out that, they said, you can't stay here. We don't want you here. And boy, that made a couple of his disciples really mad. And they said, shall we call down fire from heaven and kill them all? Jesus said, you guys have totally lost your focus. I didn't come to destroy men. I came to save men. But it would have been really easy for, for Jesus to have said, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't nice of them. And allowed himself to be influenced by what they wanted to do. 
But he, he would, when, when Jesus was under pressure, he lived the truth. So, those are the three things he did. When he was under pressure, he taught the truth. When he was under pressure, he kept his integrity. And when he was under pressure, he lived the truth. Now question, what should we do when we find ourselves pressured? Well, what did Jesus do? He taught the truth. When you have friends ask you questions, answer their questions. Do it in love. Do it with grace, seasoned with salt. But speak the truth. Don't hedge to keep a friend. Don't compromise and don't lessen the truth of God's Word to make somebody feel better. Speak the truth. That's what Jesus would do. It's what He did. And when you find yourself under pressure, ask yourself, what did Jesus do? Well, He kept His integrity. Don't be two different people. Don't have different crowds where you act different ways among different people. Be the same person Be who you really are all the time. And don't let the influence of other people who are around you change the way you are. Be a person of integrity. That's what Jesus did. And then when you find yourself in pressure, live the truth. Um, Practice what you preach. If you say all men have value, then treat all men with value. If you say God loves everybody, then show that you love everybody and not just certain kinds of people. That's the way to deal with pressure. Like I said in the beginning when we started the lesson, it doesn't matter. You can be young. You can be in the prime of your life. You can be an older person. There are pressures that come to bear on your life. And they can sometimes make you do silly things. I'm encouraging you, especially with respect to spiritual things, to do what Jesus did. Don't let the pressures of this world change you or keep you from speaking the truth, keeping your integrity, and living the way God wants you to live. I want to call you to that challenge. I know school's just getting back started, and I know college students are in, and and their school was started. And listen, the rest of us, we go to work every day. Keep your integrity, speak the truth, live it. And not only will you save yourself, but you might just save others who watch you. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That, that's not a church of Christ thing, as some might say. That's, that's what the Bible says. Those are the words of Jesus. If you haven't yet done that, do that. We'll assist you in that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you, you need to live right, maybe you've succumbed to the pressures of the world and, and you've played you know, the role of a hypocrite and you say, no longer. I, I want to stand up and bear up under this pressure. I want to live like Jesus. We'll pray with you if we stand together and sing.